0: Man. all right. Good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, if you're joining us online, welcome as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. If you want to go ahead and turn there, that'll be where we uh, spend a lot of our time this morning. Uh, but before I do, I want to tell a quick story of something that happened to me this week. So on Tuesday, I was on a Zoom call, which are still super fun if you're not doing them anymore. Um, I was on a Zoom call, and I had my phone kind of standing up, and I started seeing a, a few text messages come in from Whitney, and, and this was around school dismissal time, and so I thought, okay, maybe I, I need to see what she's texting me about, especially around that, you know, three o'clock window, but then I see a few words that say, look what your son wrote, and then I knew they could wait. Um... Because I didn't want to know what my son wrote. I've talked about this before that when there's that like separation of who co created Judah, uh, like I'm probably in trouble as well. And so uh, through this whole Zoom call, I'm like, oh man, like I'm not even at this point worried about what Judah did. I'm worried about what I did in connection to what Judah did. And so I eventually get done with the Zoom call and I open up. Uh, A a picture message from Whitney, and it is this. Uh, It's a school writing prompt where Judah was asked the two best things that happened in 2023. Now, I'll I'll go ahead and say this. Judah had a big year last year. He got to do a lot of stuff. Uh, Might I even remind young Judah that four weeks ago he went to Disneyland, got him out of school, took him to Disneyland, happiest place on earth, But he's traveled, he's been to games, he's had just a great year. Which brings me to the picture that Whitney, the full picture that Whitney said, now it's going to be, I'll I'll read it for you, but then I'll zoom in. Uh, Judah wrote that the two best things that he did, so you can't see it. Number one, my dad, me, let me watch a PG-13 movie. Um, Completely incriminating me. And then number two is my Grammy let me eat popcorn in bed. Uh, and so kind of zooming in to this one, my dad uh, let me watch a PG-13 movie. Now, I, I, was, I was like, oh, man, this isn't cool because my name's on it, right? Like, I've got blood on my hands. And so I, I'm immediately like, what on earth is he possibly talking about? And then I remembered the time I tried to connect with my son and encourage him into a new sport right around the masters judah had shown an interest in golf and, and so we we ended up getting him connected with first tee which is a great local organization if, if you want your kid to learn about golf it's excellent a lot of great programs there so we're, we've got him into first tee we sit down that sunday evening and i'm like let's watch the masters let's watch professional golf in my head i'm like future career retire early like let's just go ahead and plant the seeds goose egg. Kid is like, this is awful television. And then I see that there's a movie that I watched when I was a kid that came on on cable, which is an important point of the story. I was like, you know what? We can watch this movie. that's about golf. It's hilarious. We'll have a great time. Father and son moment. Presented this case. Some of you are laughing already. Presented this case to Whitney and Whitney just said, You've got to explain to him that there are words in this movie that he can't use socially. I did that. I've read the parenting books. I did that. I said, All right, son, let me tell you, we're going to watch a movie. There's going to be like, a lot of it's edited out because it's on cable, but there are going to be words in there. There may be even phrases that you cannot use. I will explain them to you along the way, but you've got to watch it. The movie I'm talking about that maybe some of you other pagans have seen is. Happy Gilmore, Uh, a classic Adam Sandler movie that I thought would bring out the the joy of golf to my son. Now, he loved it. It uh, is a movie now, and I'm asking you, please don't. Um, We have tried to water this down. Please don't ask him what his favorite quote is from this movie. Uh, Continue, you know, it's like we're trying to wash this away. I let him watch this movie, and there were, again, there were words, but the whole time, I'm like, hey, dude. These are words that you can't use, like these are bad words, you can't use these in school. And Whitney said, this is, this is a direct quote from Whitney, when his teacher calls, you are responsible. You're not going to believe this, uh, in this particular story, 12 hours later, uh, Judal used one of his new words at school, and, uh, and again, was not great on the home front. But I tell you this because like, I one of my favorite things about just existing is being a dad. Kids are so much fun. I have so much fun just like with with our kids, but even just all the kids at church are so funny and joy-filled to me. And even though I was embarrassed, and even though it was this powerful teaching moment for both father and son, uh, it reminded me of how innocent kids really are. And he shouldn't have said it, and I, I honestly probably shouldn't have let him watch it, but he was sorry, and we, we both, again, learned a lot that week in a, lot of, in a way that a lot of adults aren't even sorry when they make their mistakes. Judah was sorry, and I have apologized uh, a lot in our household as well. But it, it taught me, at least it reminded me, about how special being a kid is, because there's so much learning and growth that goes along with growing up, but also how crucial guidance and teaching is for children. Now, there's a passage that Kayla read just a little bit from Mark chapter 9. And again, we'll we'll be there for just a little bit this morning. And it starts with Mark recording one of my favorite pastimes of the disciples, arguing with each other. They do this a lot, and it's fantastic. And often what they are arguing about is who will be the greatest in the kingdom of of God. That's something that they are just fascinated with. Over and over and over again. They are with the Messiah who is constantly reminding them that they are called to serve. And they're like, that's fun, but who's first? So the story begins here in in verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. This is a crucial part of the story. Jesus wanted to be alone with them because he knew he needed to teach them something. We've done that a lot with different things where you, you try to remove all the distractions in order to observe, absorb all the material. So he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. And The story continues here in verse three. He came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So they're traveling, and Jesus can't really hear what they're saying, but he knows that there's some chatter. And he also knows that the tonage is kind of letting, leading us to believe that they are arguing. In verse 34, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. See, it's, it's in this scene that Jesus doesn't condemn but chooses to teach. Uh, trust me, I, I do not know a lot about parenting. I'm, I'm just kind of listening to Whitney, as well as looking just for any type of advice on how to raise these kids. But the one thing that I do know is that trying to communicate with a kid versus yelling is better for all parties involved. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this moment. He teaches, like a loving parent would. And when we slow down and really see it in this way, it's beautiful to see how Jesus chooses to communicate with those closest to them. But he continues by taking a little child and placing it in front of them. Sitting down, Jesus Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And he says, it took you a little child whom he placed among them. Now, I've I've read this story numerous times throughout my life, and I keep coming back to this claring question. Why is there a kid there? Like, we've just been told... That Jesus wants to remove the disciples so that he can teach them, communicate them, have this dialogue with them. But then in this scene, there is a kid there, just present. No adult, apparently. He's just there. And we have to add the cultural context of story. Because kids were not the familial focal point that they are today. You would not have gone to an ancient person's Instagram account and seen them post about their kid. It just wasn't done. In fact, in the traditional Roman family, a child wasn't even accepted into that family unless the father declared it to be so, and then that individual was welcomed into that family officially with a special ceremony. It is a complete reversal of how we exist today. Like From the moment a child is born, we are snapping pictures and posting them. So it's, it's, it's insane that one, this kid is just roaming around, but that Jesus places this kid among them, like intentionally putting this kid in front of them. So even the physical actions of Jesus are different. He places a child in the center, and you, understanding this situation correctly would have been wild for the adults to see this, but also for the kid as well but here this child is in the middle of these men. And that's when Jesus said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This statement is radical and loaded with a lot of theology that is missed if we don't see what Jesus is doing here. See, the scene starts off with the disciples arguing on who will be first. And then Jesus brings a child to the front. And makes it about the least of these. It is a complete role reversal that's happening right in front of their eyes. You see, they were worried about power, but Jesus is focused on serving. But there's a more important reason as to why highlighting a passage on children this morning. There's a reason why Jesus focused on them in Mark 9, as well as in this passage in Mark 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Think about that for just a second. The way that Mark records it, this happens next. Jesus just told them that they've got to welcome kids. But then in chapter 10, they're like, "Eh, not these kids. Let these little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. See, Jesus is focused on children in Mark 9 and in Mark 10, and it's because without children, you don't have a church with a future. It is so easy to get focused on the immediate feeling of church. But church is also about legacy and instilling within future generations the importance of faith and having a relationship with God. There is likely no greater passage than this, than Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema, This is a passage that we've turned to once or twice before that begins here, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is a passage that is just taught and taught and taught in the Jewish culture. It's an anchor for their faith and their beliefs. And in the very next line, It says, impress them on your children. This is generational language that we find in Deuteronomy. That it's not just about today, it's also about the future generations that will come after us. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Every part of your existence should be in some way, shape, or form, passing on what God has done in your life to those that you care about. But The reality is that it is parents. We have to decide how we want our children to learn. Who do we want them to gain their worldview and perspective from life from? The world or from God? That's why passages like Deuteronomy 6 are so powerful. They serve as a reminder and a challenge that unless we are active, And teach our children who God is and who God has created them to be. They won't know it. We have a responsibility to their future, and our future as a church as well. But as a church, we have to recognize that it just cannot be the parents alone. And this is something that this church has always done amazingly well. Chennault is a beautiful example of what an intergenerational church is. It's not a community where ministries are siloed off, meaning that when you bring a kid to Chennault, they don't ever enter into this assembly. They go to their own thing. Kids come in here for a little while. And God knows that a lot of our parents are hanging on until maybe communion. You're like, oh, come on, because then that children's church thing comes up. But this is intentional. We want children to see that church has more than just people their own age. There are individuals that may be older than them that care about them, that care about their spiritual growth, willing to encourage and champion them through life. Because no one has ever complained about having too many people in their life that are willing to support them. But it's here that I need to tell you about the other day. Because Kayla found a bunch of Taylor Swift articles that I've been printing out in the church printer. This is uncommon to print out Taylor Swift articles, but I was looking for something. Because, uh, I don't know if you know this, this church is filled with Swifties. Uh, we have several people that have gone to her, her massive concert, and, and trust me, if you haven't heard Lanny sing Just Another Picture to Burn, you haven't lived. But the purpose of this really hard and, and swift reference to Taylor Swift was something that happened to her when she was 17. This is a picture of Taylor Swift. Um, her popularity at this point was on the rise. Like it, it was nowhere near the superstar that she is today, but it was certainly on the rise, and people were starting to notice that this particular individual had talent. Like, she was going to be something. It was particularly noticed by another country music star, a man by the name Tim McGraw, who, as all of us Swifties know, was the name of one of her first hits. But seeing the rise of Taylor Swift, Tim McGraw asked her to open for his upcoming tour. Again, this was right around Taylor Swift was about 16, 17 years old. Do you, know how, do you understand how big this would have been for somebody who dreamed of dominating the country music industry and hoping that their career would be on the rise? And This was a no-brainer. She would absolutely join this tour. It would skyrocket her career. Now, what I was printing out the other day was the stories that her mother and Taylor Swift have told about this particular event. Because Taylor Swift tells the story that after she's agreed to go on tour with Tim McGraw, she comes home one night and sees her mother sitting on the steps of their house. When she gets closer, she realizes that her mother is visibly upset. And it's there, that night, that Taylor Swift's mom informed her that she couldn't join the tour. Because Tim McGraw's tour was sponsored by a beer company, and because Taylor Swift was underage, it, just, it couldn't happen. Now the way that, that Swift describes it, she was crushed, devastated. Not only was this dream that she had of joining the Tim McGraw Tour, not only was this destroyed, but it was also another career hurdle for her. Well what could they do? She was underage. she couldn't join the tour. Fast forward to the next year, when Taylor Swift turns 18. I don't know how old she's in this picture. This is another picture of Taylor Swift and Tim McGraw, for the point of the story. At her 18th birthday party, Tim McGraw's agent shows up. Weird. Was he invited? We don't know. But he shows up to this birthday party, and he hands her a birthday card. She's like, oh, that's sweet. Thanks for doing this. You know, whatever. Later on, she goes home, opens the birthday card. And the way the story goes, that in the card, it was a happy birthday, Taylor Swift, but it also included a check. Tim McGraw wrote Taylor Swift a check for the estimated amount of money that she would have made by being on on his tour. Now think about that for just a second. She didn't sing a single song. She didn't go to a single stop. Couldn't. But Tim McGraw wrote this incredible check in order to pour into this individual that changed her life, and it changed her career forever. She goes on to say that from this point, she was able to uh, change the way she traveled. She was able to pay her band. They were able to update. The, like, it changed her career trajectory because this one individual was willing to sacrifice and pour into somebody. Now, I'm, I'm telling this story because I, too, am in my 1989 era, but more so than that, it highlights the importance of recognizing value in an individual but also being willing to make self-sacrifices in order to pour into that individual. See, in a weird and beautiful way, this is similar to what Jesus does in Mark 9. He sees the value of someone who may not realize it or perhaps has never experienced someone recognizing their worth. By his actions and words, Jesus tells this child that not only do they have purpose and value, but they also have a place within a community. Remember, this was a foreign, uh, foreign in the context in which Jesus lived. And here in this moment, Jesus tells this child that they have a place. If you want children in your church, you have to make room for them. And not just in isolated ministries. They must and need to experience the family element of church. But Jesus also references the need to pour into children, to teach and to guide. Again, it cannot just be from the parents. So, How do we do this as a church? One, if there are volunteer opportunities posted and you're willing to take a chance, go for them. We, and by we I mean Whitney and Mallory, we will set you up and have everything needed in order for it to make it as easy as possible for you to serve. And honestly, just spending time with them in whatever capacity you can, they'll love. At her memorial, I told the story of Lee and Tammy teaching children's classes here at Chennault for years. My favorite part of that story was that Lee did not shy away from the fact that he didn't teach that much. Lee was responsible for the snacks and having fun. and Sometimes combine those two activities. But do you know who loved that? Kids do. Kids just want attention. They just want you to know that that you care about them. And the second thing that you can do is just show up in a kid's life. This is as easy as asking a kid what they are involved in and be willing to show up. If you want to schedule or know when a kid is playing a game, I'll get their schedule for you and we'll go together. My years of student ministry, my favorite thing was and still is going to games and rooting for our students and against the teams they're playing for. But do you know what that showed them? It showed them that I'm willing to show up for them outside of the church and that our relationship and commitment to one another went beyond the walls of this church. And as we turn our attention to reaching those outside of our church walls, We have to show up outside of this church. And when we do, we respond to the Great Commission and show God that we are willing to go to the ends of the earth. Let's stand and sing together.